Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the Paleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Sarah. What's up? It is time. I think, I hope, this show might actually happen. Are you saying we may actually break the curse? Between, like, I just finished the Cursed Child book, and we're, I mean, like, this has to be the Cursed Show. I do like your euphemism previously of calling it the Scottish Show. Um, but for those who don't want us to speak in euphemism code (laughs) (laughs) for those non-regular listeners who are like I want to hear about this show we are attempting again (laughs) to tackle the topic of resistant starch we have had this show planned probably six or seven times in the last few months and last week we actually completely recorded it (laughs) it was a good show too i mean sometimes sometimes we walk away from a show and we're like meh (laughs) this one we were like yeah we really rocked that show i mean it can only go downhill from there i'm pretty sure the sequel is never as good (laughs) and and uh you know, here we are about to try and repeat all of the things that we did last week. Um, but Matt has triple checked. <laughs> we do appear to be recording actual audio. I mean, this is this is an infinite improvement over last week. <laughs> so before we do that, mm-hmm. kind of a couple things happened this week. You having a birthday my friend so when this show goes live to our subscribers that will actually be my birthday happy birthday to you oh thank you i'm uh i'm still in denial <laughs> i'm still i'm still it's kind of I'm, I'm sort of my husband started my birthday present today so um i needed some more um shelving for my office so I said, you know what, like a great birthday present would be to actually like go to Ikea and pick up the shelves and put them together. Like the birthday present is the three hours it takes to assemble Ikea furniture. And he actually did that like on his way home from work today. And so I'm like, okay, that's like a, that's, you know, the thing that I said I wanted for my birthday. And there, there's these, all the boxes on the floor of uh, of the office now, and so that's a, that's something that's happening. And it, there's little bits and pieces that are uh, making making it feel like Thursday will actually happen. Well, nothing like um, a week of celebrations for a birthday. I'll tell you that. 
That's how I like to roll. Yeah. I'm not 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 thinking it's going to be like a week of celebration, I think. So here's the other thing that the stars remaining aligned and all of the, you know, when this podcast goes live, also the brand new version of my website that has been in the works for six months should be live. Knock on wood. <laughs> your, 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 lack of, toes your lack of confidence about it is not it inspiring. Well. <laughs> so if this podcast is live and Sarah's website is not updated, send her a note telling her. <laughs> that like, I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know. And it's, it's still just like the version one of the new site. There's like this huge to-do list of things that had to wait until the code was completely rebuilt. So it's, you know, it's going to be like... 10 times as fast to load and it's, it's going to be pretty sleek. Um, so there's, there's been a lot of like, it's complete ground up, like actually building a website, which I, I never really did. Like my website before was always, um, Hey, let me grab this WordPress theme and stuff some stuff into it. Um, so this is like the first like actual professional web developers taking the site and like making it work properly, which is going to be very very cool and um and the first time that it's going to have a substantial sort of visual overhaul too so um so i'm excited about it but i yeah there's so much left to do so i'm in this like i've been working on uh various aspects of the you know content for i mean for a long time but it's like the last four days have been like 10, 12 hour work days getting ready for this. I'm in this, like, I'm going cross-eyed and I can see the end of the tunnel, but at the same time, like, it's not just me. I don't have control. I only have control over finishing my part and I don't have control over any of the other things. And I'm just trying to just, you know, let it go, let it go. I can't hold it back anymore. You know, theme songs and stuff i was i was just waiting for you to break out in song you're the one with daughters no come on i already let it go go. can't hold it back anymore yeah there you go that's it that's enough our poor listeners didn't know that they were actually going to get both of us singing and singing podcasting that is also a fairly rare podcasting event for us to both break out in song. That's and all you need now is jazz hands before the end of the show, and it'll be a trifecta. We got it. We got it. <laughs> um, so, so yes. So, big birthday, turning a whole different group of numbers. Um, I have th- three, two. I have t- two more days in my thirties. <laughs> well, okay. You don't need to dwell on that. You need to think I mean, about you just, how you just awesome heard, your 40s you are going to be. You heard how – yeah, no. I I mean, as as someone said, it's, I'm like maybe my podcast co-host, like you're actually only a day older than you were the day before. <laughs> yeah, I did say that last time, huh? <laughs> I believe that was that was the something, something take-home message. Like, you know, even though your age is a different number, it's not like you suddenly aged 10 years. <laughs> It's all like you're gonna wake up and like need a cane. Like it's and it, it, it's not like you don't have a lot to be proud of in those forty years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's as I was sort of saying, and I don't don't even, this was, I was probably saying this on the podcast that never got recorded. Um, but it's sort of a 
it's a weird timing because I've got three major projects all coming to a head at the same time. And it was sort of accidental, the timing that they all kind of smushed together. But each one of those projects would be a tremendous amount of work and sort of a huge stressful deadline by themselves. And I've got them all going all at the same time. And then my birthday is like right in the middle of it. So my birthday besides the fact that I'm not that excited about turning 40, it's sort of becoming like an afterthought in the grand scheme of (laughs) the giant to-do list as well. So it's maybe better that way. Maybe it's better to just sort of nose to the grindstone and keep working and swimming. See, (laughs) I don't remember. There's more more Disney right there, right there. There's a little bit more. Just keep swimming. There we go. I think that was the last episode though. Um, not the one that got lost. But anyway, um, so in completely unrelated news, I just got back from Seattle, which sure. is like one of few cities that we haven't actually gone to together, but have both been to. Um, and I could not help but think of you because I was, you know, near the Canadian border on the West Coast. And we went to an oyster farm and actually ate oysters that like we could literally see the boat pulling out of the water. It was the craziest, coolest, most delicious um, foodie experience I've had in a really long time. So um, my friend, Dana, who's not a blogger, but I was strongly encouraging her to do so. We both went to college together for uh, cultural writing. So she's a really good writer and she writes about like TV and stuff like that. And I was like, you really need to blog. Uh, She went paleo like a year after I did. So I love that like she knew all these great, places in town and was like ready to have the food the the culinary experience for me just like two and a half days of doing nothing but eating our way through the city so I'm like you know on a complete high from getting to travel for no purpose other than just to have fun (laughs) I was like and top up your zinc stores right clearly and this yeah I it's okay so I'm going to put you on the spot here with a uh, science fun fact before we jump into the show. I feel like zinc must be one of those um, things that you don't actually need on the regular, but that you your body can actually store and use. Because I go through phases where I'm like, all the oysters, and then I don't need them or think about them for months. And then again, I'm like, give me all the Brazil nuts and oysters and blah, 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 right? Is this a thing? No. You Googling it right now? No. So um, zinc is actually the second most predominant mineral in the human body after iron. And it is phenomenally important. Um, And uh, we – I mean there's other – definitely other food sources in the paleo diet that are like good food sources of zinc. But if you look at like standard American diet, about 73% of people are not getting enough zinc. So probably when you're hitting all the oysters, it's not like I need a top up of my stores. It's like I'm deficient and my body's recognizing it. All right. Well, there you have it. Anyway. Um, so here's the thing. I'm going to try to be as cool as I was the last time we did the show, but I'm going to have to lean on you a lot on this one because it's just going to come off redundant and weird if I repeat everything I did last time. Science, however, 
Science is science. You can you can do that. I can't be off the cuff cool like that. It's just. I mean, I can science it up at any time. Right. So this show is inspired by actually a whole group of questions that we've had in our inbox that came out of the increased popularity that we've seen of resistant starch supplementation that sort of has started permeating its way into the paleo diet. Um, And so I'm going to read one representative question, even though we've had quite a few. This question is from Tamara, and it says, Hi, ladies. I keep hearing about resistant starches being a great thing for digestive health. The only problem is the best sources seem to be foods and starches that are not allowed on the autoimmune protocol, raw potato starch, rice, and legumes. Do you think that resistant starches are important for people who are struggling with autoimmune disease? And if so, what is the best way to consume them? I'm nervous about green bananas, plantain flour, green banana flour, and cassava and tapioca starch, as my gut has been sensitive to most isolated kinds of fiber that I've tried in the past, as well as green bananas. You are all doing a great job. It's so wonderful to hear these issues discussed and have so much scientific research behind the solutions. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> um, I can't pretend that I don't know the answer to that this this time because I threw something out there last time and you were like, good job, you're right. <laughs> um, but so I will say that my my instinct on this, because I too heard a lot about it, I think the vein of resistant starch comes with a lot of different things that people like to play with with paleo. And there's nothing wrong with you know, being um, creative in how you approach nutrient density and also, you know, focusing on what helps your body uh, feel its best. But for me, that also comes in the vein of, of the very base of the philosophy that drew me to paleo to begin with, which is that, you know, our bodies have not evolved to modern foods with the very short amount of time that we've had for modern agriculture versus what humans had been eating for, you know, so long before that. And so for me, the idea of isolated foods or man manipulated foods or things like that, and I'm not talking about take, for example, hybridization of vegetables by selective breeding, um, which humans have been doing and, you know, have been able to do without technology for a very long time. I'm talking about, you know, literally isolating foods and, and using modern technology or tools to change them. And that always makes me think twice before I approach a food that way. And that's exactly what resistant starch sounded like to me. And when I read about it, it was um, something that's naturally occurring in what would be a synergistic form, for example, you know, green bananas, plantains, um, I think rice, I can't recall, but there were enough things in my diet where I was like, oh, well, I'm eating those. If my body is craving something, if it needs it, it'll tell me um, to to have more of those foods. And if I'm listening and if I'm eating a a generally nutrient rich diet on, on the other portions, then it's not something that I really need to be concerned with. And, um, I remember you and I had a conversation about the idea that people were putting some of this like potato starch in smoothies or something like that. And Mm -hmm. I just, I was like, 
whoa, like that, it just blew my mind. And I could see maybe adding a sweet potato. I, you know, I've added, uh, a, like a cooked sweet potato. I've added, you know, avocados to smoothies before, um, for, you know, uh, long energy because they're so high in fat. And so I was like, okay, well, I could see if someone wanted more carbs, they could put like a sweet potato in a smoothie, but it just didn't logically, my brain just didn't make sense of it. And I couldn't see in the literature that I read where I would get something out of this isolated form that I couldn't get from a whole food source, like many of the other things we preach on our, you know, real foods inspired, low inflammatory paleo lifestyle. And so I just thought, this isn't something for me. Um, but I, I think I thought what I thought was really interesting as I learned more from you um, is that you know, following that intuition and and listening to my body and also using some research to learn like, okay, what is it and what is it doing for the body and understanding how it worked um, did actually make sense. (laughs) Yeah, it's been really interesting. So, you know, there's often these ideas that come from alternative health communities that um, take hold within the paleo community without um, really like when you stop to think of it actually being very consistent with sort of the foundationary <laughs> tenets of paleo and resistant starch is one of them. You know, when you think about paleo as a nutrient focused whole foods diet, an isolated starch as a supplement doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Um, but where it came from really is this collection of scientific literature showing some health benefits to high resistant starch consumption. So, um, you know, it, for example, um, has been shown to reduce the risk of diabetes and heart disease and cancers. It lowers inflammation. It regulates hormones. Um, it may help protect against some gut pathologies. Um, it uh, improves insulin sensitivity, it improves hunger responses, it improves lipid profiles. And it's sort of important to like take a step back right there and go like, wow, that was a whole lot of great benefits. Like, why are you guys talking about resistant starch being silly? Um, those are benefits that are seen across the board for fiber. And resistant starch is a type of fiber. So what it is, is um, it's, I mean, it has starch in the name, but really it's a highly fermentable type of insoluble fiber. So it's sort of a myth that soluble fiber is fermentable and insoluble fiber isn't. Um, in fact, almost all types of fibers are soluble, including most types of insoluble fiber. And um, it, what the difference is, is really does that type of fiber absorb water as it's going through the digestive tract. If it absorbs water, it's soluble. If it doesn't, it's insoluble. So that changes the mechanics of how that fiber is going through the digestive tract. And it changes the consistency, right? It changes how it affects the consistency of the material around it. But at the end of the day, our beneficial gut bacteria can ferment slash eat most types of fiber. Um, And so resistant starch is highly fermentable. So that means that um, bacteria can eat it very, very readily. And that is probably where these benefits come from. And that is where the sort of myth that supplementing with something like 
potato starch in a smoothie is beneficial. The idea that if it's highly fermentable, then we're going to be feeding our gut bacteria and we're going to have a happy gut and then we're going to have a happy everything else because we know from tens of thousands of scientific studies now that our gut microbiome is absolutely crucial for our health and that whatever we can do to support a healthy gut microbiome is going to help our overall health. But what's interesting about resistant starch, it is so fermentable that as soon as you isolate it, you actually really change where it's having its activity in the digestive tract. So there's actually four types of resistant starch. Um, They are very, very creatively named resistant starch one, resistant starch two, resistant starch three, and resistant starch four. I mean, whoever comes up with these names, it's just amazing. It's inspirational, really. Um, (laughs) Right? But um, resistant starch one is a starch that resists digestion because it's trapped inside the um, cell walls of plants. And so this is the type of resistant starch that we see in legumes and grains and seeds. Uh, Resistant starch two um, resist digestion just because of its molecular structure, but it does become more digestible after being cooked. So this is the type of starch that we find in raw potatoes, green bananas, raw plantains. Resistant starch three is also called retrograded starch. So this is what happens when you cook resistant starch two, the structure kind of falls apart. It becomes more digestible. As that food cools, the structure partially reforms and it becomes a resistant starch again. So that's RS3, resistant starch three. And resistant starch four is man-made, chemically modified, not found in nature, not relevant to this conversation because clearly none of us are talking about that. So studies look at mostly resistant starch two, um, although there is also a collection of studies looking at resistant starch one and resistant starch three, and we're starting to sort of tease apart how these different things are happening. But resistant starch two is really, that's what we're talking about in the paleo community. And we talk about adding potato starch to a smoothie to protect our gut microbiome. And what's really interesting is that we've discovered that when you isolate resistant starch two and you, you know, feed it to an animal. Most of these studies are done in animals, although we've got some human studies to look at as well. Um, the, where it's fermented is actually far too high up the digestive tract. So it actually gets completely fermented by the time it reaches the lower part of the colon, which is where actually all of that action is supposed to take place. And we know that when we have a lot of good fermentation down in the lower part of the colon, like that's what reduces risk of, you know, colon cancer, for example. And then as soon as you add another type of fiber to resistant starch, you suddenly push that fermentation back farther down the digestive tract to where it's providing all of its benefits. So there's a really, really big difference in how, resistant starch two is being fermented and where it's being fermented when it's an isolated starch in a supplement versus part of a, of a whole food um, or even consumed as part of a meal that has multiple other fiber sources. Um, and they've actually, you know, confirmed this in humans and looked at um, how resistant starch supplementation 
RS2 supplementation versus con- combining it with other fibers, how that affects uh, stool pH, which is a really excellent measurement of the health of the colon and the health of, of the microbiome there, and really shows that we fail to get benefits when we have resistant starch 2 on its own. Why this is really important is a couple of reasons. One is what the implications are for cancer. The other one is what the implications are for the gut microbiome in general. So the gut microbiome, you know, there's, um, we, each one of us has between say 300 and 1500 different species of microorganisms that live within our digestive tracts. Friends. And right, there are pets. There are, I mean, I just, I think of them as my little buddies. Um, a healthy gut microbiome has more like 500 to a thousand different species. And like most of the bulk of those guys is probably coming from 30 to 40 different species. But we know that that diversity, having a thousand different species in there is one of the best predictors of health. So we know that a diverse microbiome is one of the absolute top like qualities that we're looking for in our microbial community that's living in our gut. And the way that we achieve that is by feeding them diverse food. So different types of bacteria prefer to ferment different types of carbohydrates, so different types of fiber. And so one of the best things that we can do is eat whole food sources of fiber because like one piece of celery or one strawberry, they have multiple types of fiber in them. And even those types, those types have subtypes and those subtypes have subtypes. So you end up with a diversity of fiber when you have the whole food compared to a fiber supplement. And we actually see this with um, inulin fiber supplementation, which is sort of like a fairly common sort of old school fiber supplement 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 was um, inulin fiber. And we saw that when you feed one type of fiber to the gut microbiome, you overfeed a small collection of types of microorganisms at the expense of the other good guys. So you end up losing diversity. And in fact, this has been confirmed in human studies with RS2. So what they showed was when they fed this RS2 enriched diet that um, the human um, uh, gut microbiota became completely enriched in um, bacteria from two different families, um, Bacteroides and Eubacterium, which are beneficial bacteria, but overfeeding those bacteria suppressed the levels of Bifidobacterium and Lactobacillus. And those are also tremendously important bacterial species to have in a healthy gut microbiome. Like if you, you probably recognize Bifidobacterium and Lactobacillus because those are the ones that are available in most probiotic supplements that you can get at just at any store. So those types of bacteria, they like other types of fiber, not RS2. So when you enrich a diet with one type of fiber, you can create these imbalances in the gut microbiome that can have really huge implications for human health and that we really don't understand very well. You know, we, what we really understand is vegetable and fruit fibers 
are very, very diverse, and they tend to be fiber types that within the structure of the fiber is polyphenols, you know, phytochemicals, antioxidants. So you end up with a fiber type that is a, a very, it makes bacteria healthy, and it gives a huge variety of fiber so you can, you know, feed that great variety of uh, microorganisms in the gut. When you start picking and choosing, like we, we really only understand the tip of the iceberg in terms of how that can overfeed certain species and the imbalances that can cause and what the long-term implications of that are. But generally, that's, that whole idea really should cause the heebie-jeebies. Like that's, that's the natural response to, wait a minute, I'm going to, if I consume this fiber supplement, I'm going to overfeed a few selective species and suppress some other beneficial species. No, thank you. Um, the other really important implication of um, isolated resistant starch and the fact that it's fermented much higher up the digestive tract, besides the fact that that has the potential to greatly exacerbate small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. If you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, giving a highly fermentable sugar that's or a highly fermentable fiber that's going to feed bacteria high up the digestive tract is clearly not going to be helpful. But there's actually a collection of studies showing that resistant starch 2 can increase um, colon tumor growth. So these are all studies, animal studies, and also confirmed in humans, um, where the tumors are caused by something else. So it's not saying potato starch causes colon cancer. That is not the statement. Um, but it's stating that if the mechanisms causing polyps and causing tumors in the colon, if those are already underway, Supplementing with resistant starch can increase tumor growth. So in these animal models, they are animal models where the tumors are caused by some other, some chemical. Um, in humans, it's humans who already have uh, precancerous growths. And what they've shown is a pretty phenomenal increase in the growth rate. Um, so we're talking about, you know, 70%, 90%. Higher growth rate um, in uh, animals that are consuming this resistant starch to uh, enriched diets. And then what's really, really important is that as soon as you add that other fiber, that effect goes away. So there's really a very, very different effect on health when you consume this isolated resistant starch versus resistant starch as part of a whole food matrix and a whole food form. So potato starch in a smoothie, there's a lot of reasons to be very, I mean, run away. Um, I, the only, <laughs> but the only therapeutic potential I could see is if you're working with a functional medicine specialist who has done a comprehensive stool analysis and has specifically found that the species that of bacteria that like resistant starch too are the ones that are lacking in your particular gut microbiome and you're doing some supplementation and retesting of the gut microbiome to get to a better equilibrium. Like that is the 
okay, you know, there's, there is some ways that this might be able to be manipulated in certain circumstances for, for benefit. But what it really is talking about is like whole foods, the, the benefits of resistant starch is the whole food version of it. So it's when we're eating potatoes. I mean, cooked potatoes contain resistant starch 2 and resistant starch 3. But we find resistant starch in all um, root vegetables. So all starchy vegetables have some resistant starch. And we find it in things like bananas and, and plantains, as long with other fiber types, and along with vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and these other things that we know are tremendously important for our, our health. So you know, when we strip away, right, it's like when we strip away this one thing that's in this food, like suddenly, you know, like high fructose corn syrup is a thing that we've stripped away from corn, right? Like when you start thinking about it in that, in those terms, you go, okay, um, whole foods, whole foods are great. So there's really a huge argument to be made for consuming bananas and plantains and starchy vegetables. There's a whole pile of, of health benefits that come from those foods. And the argument against supplementing with isolated fiber types, period. So I think um, what would some what would you recommend if someone has been increasing resistant starch because they read that it was good to do that and now they're thinking oh maybe I should stop um my experience with um what I've read about carbs uh particularly start uh, adding or removing starch and carbs from your diet is that you can actually create some metabolic and hormone disruption if you immediately or drastically change uh carbohydrate uh, by more than I think it was like five grams a day um would would you suggest kind of tapering off or do you think this is the kind of thing you can just stop and eat regular carbs or what would you recommend that's a good question um so I mean resistant starch is not provided like if you're taking potato starch or something it's not providing us with a ton of carbohydrates um but it is certainly providing us with some um, I mean, it would be fairly easy to switch to a whole food source and maintain a similar uh, net carbohydrate intake in the day. Um, but there's another argument to be made for um, how – like, so when you suddenly stop – here's the thing. When you suddenly stop feeding a whole bunch of – of microorganisms that are living in your gut. And we see this in things like GAPS and SCD or low FODMAP diets when people first go on those as therapeutic diets. Um, Die-off happens. And that doesn't mean Herxheimer reactions. Like that's that's a whole, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about in terms of die-off. I'm just talking about like those bacteria die. Um, and that means typically some pretty potentially dramatic changes in stool quality, frequency, and volume. Um, so it's fairly common for people to have diarrhea when they suddenly stop feeding their gut microbiome. So the idea wouldn't be just stop taking potato starch. The idea might be like 
take five days to cut the amount down. It doesn't need to be like take three months to do it. It can be done fairly quickly. Um, but then also work on increasing vegetable consumption overall to be feeding this wonderful diversity of good guys. And that generally should minimize symptoms. But, you know, whenever you're making a big change like that, remember that um, diarrhea, constipation, bloating, gas, um, sort of tummy rumbling noises, it's called berberigmy, um, those those things are all sort of natural consequences of dramatic changes to the gut microbiome. But there's lots of, you know, studies where they've taken people and completely changed their diets and their microbiomes take a few days to adjust and it happens. It's just, it can happen with um, some symptoms. Um, but there, it would be the type of thing that you could do and not dramatically change carbohydrate intake. It's also probably worthwhile mentioning that um, a large group of people for whom uh, resistant starch supplementation has some appeal are people who are following very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet approaches um, and are within that framework consuming inadequate fiber for a healthy gut microbiome. So there's this idea that well, if I'm not consuming enough vegetables for a healthy gut microbiome, I'll just supplement with this fiber and it'll be great. Um, and so it's sort of worthwhile sort of mentioning that, you know, the the limitation of those dietary approaches besides what science now shows that it can do to hormones and, and our metabolisms, which is not favorable, um, I, I think the bigger long-term concern with those is um, – the changes that they cause in, in the gut microbiome. There's actually been some interesting research within the last year, um, more looking at how low fiber the standard American diet is, because on average, Americans are consuming eight grams of fiber a day. The USDA recommendation is 25 to 38. Eight? Depending on eight. The average American gets eight grams of fiber a day. And that's including fortified grains. That's crazy. Yes. So grains aren't grains are fortified with vitamins. They're not fortified with fiber, right? Like, well, yeah. yeah I just mean, but it's including your fiber one cereal. Like yeah. that is right. So, uh, average American gets eight grams a day. USDA recommendation is twenty five grams for women and thirty to thirty eight grams for men. Hunter gatherers are consuming between forty five and two hundred and fifty grams of fiber a day, depending on the different populations studied. So, like, just. Think about eight grams versus even not even two hundred fifty. Think about just eight grams versus fifty. Like that's it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty pretty big difference, right? There's orders of magnitude. It's a big it's a big. There's multipliers. It's not it's not it's big. Um, it's big. And um, and so there's been these studies that have been looked looked at low fiber diets in that context. So not in the context of very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diets, but more just in the context of consuming a lot of refined foods. And has actually shown that the loss of diversity of the gut microbiome is irreversible, and it's um, as damaging to the diversity of our gut microbiomes as going on antibiotics, and that it compounds over generations. So because our children inherit, right, the seed of their gut microbiomes from us. So if we're not consuming enough 
fiber to support a healthy gut microbiome, then we don't have the diversity to pass on to them. Then they don't have the diversity to pass on to their children. And they've actually shown that in four generations, you can lose 90% of the diversity of a gut microbiome. And they're, you know, they're basically saying like, we need to fix this in a standard American diet now, or in four generations from now, we are not going to be able to function because we need a diverse gut microbiome to be healthy. And so like really fibers, it's considered a non-essential nutrient and that flabbergasts me because it's saying, okay, you won't die if you don't eat it, right? So there's nutrients that if you don't get enough, you, you will die. Those are essential nutrients. And then there's the nutrients that if you don't eat it, you won't die. Those are considered non-essential nutrients. But saying it's non-essential is is a different – it's talking about life or death. It's not talking about health versus disease or illness or, or, or sickness, right? So fiber is absolutely crucial for health because we rely on a healthy gut microbiome in order to be healthy ourselves. So even though it's not providing us with vital nutrients that our cells need to, you know – build themselves and perform all their chemical reactions and all of those things, it's still absolutely necessary for the multi-organism that we are to be healthy. So uh, fiber, like, yay fiber. I'm I'm like, I don't know, I'm fist bumping or something. I'm sort of like <laughs> ringing, ringing like a fake train bell right now. I don't know what I'm doing. But um, – Studies basically show that eight servings of fruits and vegetables a day is really sort of the optimal minimum. Um, and, um, and you know, serving is a half a cup to a cup generally. It's not, it's not like a serving is like the entire head of broccoli, right? It's usually a cup raw or half a cup cooked is typically what it is or two cups of leafy something. Um, and so eight, eight servings a day is pretty doable, um, so thinking of that as a minimum um, while weaning off the fiber supplements and, and moving to real foods. Awesome. Well, I know that, um, you know, it's worth mentioning with all the fiber love that um, my body in particular, because I have a difficult time digesting, um, there are people who have asked me, how do I eat fiber without a gallbladder? And, um, the same thing, like I need to rate a post the way that I did how to eat bacon without a gallbladder. Um, you can eat fiber without a gallbladder. And, and I know that my health condition isn't the only one. I know that, um, for example, people with Crohn's have a difficult time with broccoli. Um, there are different things like that. And so, you know, it's important to consider the many, many, many sources of fiber that are available. And don't just assume that because you can't have one, you can't have others. And I know that for most people with uh, the range of health conditions that would uh, limit your ability to fully digest fiber, that cooking them helps your body by pre-digesting that food. So if you're looking for, you know, good, healthy ways to get in fiber, because that's why you're adding potato starch, because you're not eating your fiber one cereal anymore. I mean, the solution there is really, you know, frankly, winter is coming, make a pot roast, you know, put, put all that stuff in there. Um, you liked my little, I did. Yeah, I did. I approved. Um, I was like, it's a pop culture reference that I understand. Yay. Um, 
but you know you can make a pot roast and, and put it all in there or um matt does a fantastic job of steaming the broccoli until it's really super limp for me because i have a difficult time digesting uh raw broccoli so there are different types of fiber depending on um the food itself and also the cooking method really affects your ability to ju- to digest it as well yeah definitely so a great um a couple great tips for people who are having trouble with fiber cooking method so cooking switching it up which you already mentioned the other one is is pureeing blending so looking at um smoothies not juices smoothies where you're putting the whole food in and blending the bejeepers out of it with like a blend tech or a Vitamix or doing pureed soups. Um, and that sort of, it does, uh, <laughs> I sometimes think that some of the, this issue comes from the fact that none of us actually sit and chew anything anymore. Yes. Um, right. Like Rob, Rob Wolf has, has this phrase, like learn the difference between your mouth and a vacuum cleaner. I am terrible at that. I totally still vacuum suck all my food up. Um, I, I, I can't, I need to listen to Rob more, but, um, but that I think is a pretty common thing that we sort of inadequately chew our food. Um, and so I think a lot of these things can also, right. That's a substitute when you're pureeing, when you're cooking, cooking partially breaks down the fiber. Those are things that can help, stimulate and sort of get the digestive process, sort of get, give it a, a head start. Similarly to sitting and actually thoroughly chewing our food can do. Um, it's and easier also, for me to make a pureed soup. Let's, let's just, it's true. Yes. And uh, one of the things that Rob gave a recommendation for that I think we've mentioned several times here is also don't have a giant cup of water like with your meal, because what you'll end up doing is partially chewing and then slugging down the water to kind of like wash it down. And um, it dilutes your stomach acid to have the water while you're eating. So if you're thirsty, drink the water before or after your meal and try to only use it, um, you know, as a sip or something like that if you need it. But um, since reducing my fluid intake at mealtime, it tremendously helped my digestion. Digestion. As yeah, well. that was definitely something that I also sort of made that transition to a glass of water as opposed to four <laughs> yeah. um, with my meals and thinking of it more as uh, a drink between bites rather than a drink to swallow something down. Um, and that takes it takes a little time of sort of being really mindful of that. And then I, like to me, I feel like it's something I don't have to think about anymore, but there was a fairly hefty period of time where that was definitely required thought to keep doing. Awesome. Well, I think we've covered this topic from several angles and maybe that's because we've had time to practice. Right. <laughs> practice I would, makes perfect. I would also mention, because I don't think that you did with this episode, that you have a great post on your blog about resistant starch that people can go check out for more information on the science correct? It's called resistant starch. It's not all sunshine and roses. Um, and we can definitely make sure that there's a link, um, in the show notes on both of our sites. And, um, that post really sort of gives a little bit more detail, um, in the scientific studies of everything that I covered along with links to the original research for the other science nerds out there who would like to dive into that. (laughs) The other nerds. 
There's other ones. I'm not the only one. Of course not. No, there's like three more. I'm pretty sure. Well, thank you for tuning in, everyone. I'm sorry that we've been weird and spastic and telling you about shows that you never heard. Uh, hopefully, you won't <laughs> ever hear about it again because the next show. Oh, because this will be it. It'll go live. It'll be amazing. It'll and be it's done. The Scottish, the Scottish cursed child show will be out there in the world, and we will never have to think about it again. Um, and then the next time we do a show, we're not going to have any technical problems. Everything's going to go great like it did for the last four years <laughs> true true well thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week have a great one thank you for listening to the paleo view if you enjoyed the show please take a moment to rate us on itunes you can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through paypal Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.